1: I talk about getting you to retirement. That's the goal of this show. I think it's a noble goal. Realistically, there are some things that you have to learn and do along the way. There's multiple ways of accumulating wealth. CFP Chad Burton talks about preserving wealth until you die so that you can live off your wealth. This isn't a show about Lamborghinis. This is a show about paying your mortgage, paying your rent, paying for your own coffin the day you die, kind of thing. I don't have any gimmicky um, tricks like cut a cup of coffee out at Starbucks every day and make it at home. Do I know that's expensive? Yeah, but I try not to go into like the silly. You can make money and wealth in investing. In retirement issues and planning, you need to know about taxes, personal finance, wealth creation, businesses, stocks, insurance, and much, much more. So let's talk about real estate, because I think that's one that a lot of people can relate to. And we're in an environment where home prices are falling pretty quickly. Maybe they're adjusting. Maybe they're readjusting. Maybe they're normalizing. I don't know. What do you want to say? Should I wait for real estate prices to plummet before buying a house? I'm going to talk about that right here, right now. I myself wish I can go back in time and buy more, 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 more. Of everything that I know that did well. Over two years in, this decade has already brought a global pandemic, record setting inflation, rising interest rates in a country more divided than ever before. And yet, I'm still talking about how to get everyone to retirement, right? Why not have a housing crash involved as well? If you lived through 2008, All you got was a T-shirt at the end of it that said, I just went through two and a half years of a down housing market. All I got was a stupid T-shirt. Unless you bought The Last time I bought... No, no, that's not true. I bought in 2008, 2007. With the idea of finally prices have stopped running up. Maybe they'll pause, but they actually went down. Considerably, if you can look at the tax records on your home, go back in time and take a look at what your home did in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Americans who lived through two thousand eight, maybe watching the red hot market and going, "I wonder if we're going to get bottoms forty percent lower than the tops <clears throat> before they reaccelerate to a new hot top." Experts say there are good reasons to believe that a um, housing market will be a shakeout, but it will not be a return to 2008. I will be honest with you. Last year, I sold a home in a frothy real estate market, and I bought a home in a frothy real estate market. I bought a home with a down payment from a stock that I had big gains in, in a frothy 70 new highs in 2021 in the stock market. When I'm telling you this, pay attention. Lenders have stopped being lax. The housing market today is not the housing market of 2008. A huge contributor to the housing crisis in 2008 was dicey lending practices within the financial industry. Years of deregulation made it easier and more profitable to hand out risky loans. There was something called the Dodd-Frank Act which was signed into law in 2010 and aimed to prevent that by increasing oversight in the industry and start questioning credit scores, start questioning credit applications. Median credit score of newly originated mortgages was 773 in the second quarter of the year, according to the Federal Reserve. 65% of new borrowers had credit scores of over 760. Credit scores will tell you how shaky the loan is or isn't, or how shaky the client is who's taking out the money. We are in a very different world of mortgage lending practices. Homeowners are doing fine as of now. We don't have a recession that looks imminent. In 2022, in the fourth quarter, when we were talking about what happened in the third quarter, big banks basically across the board said consumers are okay. We're not seeing higher delinquency rates at our credit cards. We're not seeing higher delinquency rates in our mortgages we've done. And we're seeing savings in their savings account higher than 2019. So homeowners are doing fine. The credit score is higher today than it was back in 2008, considerably. The Dodd-Frank Act was put in place to stop aggressive lending to people with low credit scores. There's plenty of supply of homes. It's not as simple as supply and demand, but it, it almost always is when you look at real estate. In 2008, there was a tremendous oversupply because of foreclosures. On TV, the commercials that ran on my station, Cron, there was a lot of advertisements for lawyers saying, um, don't pay your, you haven't paid your mortgage in three months. Call me. I'll stop your home from going into foreclosure for $4,000. I'll write a letter to the bank and tell them, no, they cannot foreclose on your property. So when you see that, people are losing their homes. People are not losing their homes right now. There's no panic. Now, interest rates are way higher today than they were in 2008. So that's a new kind of wrinkle in the formula, mortgage rates and how interest rates play together. But as of now, the quiet quitting economy Hasn't had ripple effects into the ability to pay mortgages. Right now, there's huge demand and there's a shortage of supply. There are no foreclosures. They're not adding to the market. They're not forcing people to take whatever offer they can get to get out of the mortgage. The Federal Reserve's efforts to dampen demand by raising interest rates its starting to work. So home prices are coming down. In the next year, I plan to have some money on the sides and potentially buy in a market that I feel comfortable with. I tend to go after markets that have a college close by a hospital close by. Um, if you can get just outside the Apple campus where how many people work there, let's just make up a number and say a hundred thousand. There's a be demand to live close to campus. Same thing with colleges, with professors, Same thing with hospitals with doctors. People don't want to drive 45 minutes. They don't want to get on the freeway. They want to back door in. It's like a retirement community, which is interesting because maybe that's what I'll buy. Like I said, I plan to buy some real estate in the next year, probably 10 months, 11 months, 12 months from now. I will continue to contribute to my 401k. I will continue to contribute to saving and investing for retirement. But I do plan to pull the trigger and I'm looking for something in a relatively short time frame. And I'm not worried because my time frame in the long term will be 20-30 years. So if I go for a retirement home, maybe it'll be in San Diego on the beach, and maybe I'll turn it into a rental for the next 10 years until I retire. Um, That's not a bad idea. I could look for a college town for maybe my kids will need a place to live shortly after college and have a starter home. I could look for an outright investment in a hot community. You get the idea. So I don't think the housing is going to be as bad as 2008, but I do think we're in a downward trend, and I want to try to catch a bottom or close to a bottom. You can find me online at roblackshow.com.
0: You're listening to New Focus on Wealth on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Elon Musk says Tesla is putting the pedal to the metal, even with potential recession looming. Um, A lot of people are saying recession. In my first segment, I talked about buying a home. And I said, I'll probably be buying in 10 or 11 months, right when the job cuts really start happening and a recession is getting underway and the Federal Reserve will have to start lowering interest rates. I will use something like a three-year arm or a five-year arm or a seven-year arm, and I'll readjust with a 30-year fixed mortgage when rates go lower. There is a cycle to the economy. And if everyone's predicting a recession next year, it probably won't happen. But I'm starting to line up my cards in case it does. I'm not a great chess player, but I do try to look into the future oh so slightly. Americans think you need to save and have $1.7 million retire comfortably. It's a pretty crazy number. When I was younger, I thought the number was $1 million for no other reason than television, right? Or whatever medium I was being influenced by. Now the number is $1.7 million. A little less than half of people surveyed said they're likely to meet their savings goals. That's understandable. Financial planners typically recommend saving between 10 and 15% of your crew's annual salary for retirement. That is no small feat. But I think you can be done. I was writing down some notes in my head this morning about what am I am going to talk about. And a person I work with in radio said he went to the Warriors first game of the year. And I was like, oh, I wonder how much that cost. And when he told me $300, it doesn't sound crazy. You get the memory of a ring ceremony, which is nice because you don't live just to save and work for your whole life to get to retirement, to die rich and wealthy like Ebenezer Scrooge. But then I started thinking about some of the th- what I things I did when I was his age. And it was like every Friday and Saturday night, I would find something to do with one of my small circle of friends or girlfriends. So I probably went to, let's make up a number, 40 hockey games, 40 baseball games, um, 120, 120 movies, movies that sucked. Um, if I can go back in time, I would cut my Friday and Saturday night spending down big. So the guy at the radio station spent $300. He's in his 20s. That's $600 in his 30. That's $1,200 in his 40s. It's $2,400 in his 50s. It's $4,800 in his 60s. Now that may not sound like a lot, but you repeat that a couple times on one too many basketball games. And <clears throat> I learned that when I bought season tickets to a hockey team, they had a pretty good year. Not a great year. I saw more wins than losses. Each individual game, I kind of liked. Except for by the end of the season, I was giving away tickets for free to friends because who wants to go to 41 hockey games? But I still pay in the $200 per game, you know, or whatever it was. It's probably 120 tickets weren't that expensive back then. But um, that's one of my biggest regrets, dating and entertainment. Um, The girlfriend who I flew to Miami to see Peter Gabriel front row. Um wonderful experience i hope she tells her husband and her child you know all about it in her 50s and 60s you know because i flipped the bill on that one i still remember the architecture of miami pretty cool city to visit wouldn't want to live there but pretty cool city to visit so saving 10 to 15 percent of your salary is the key to making 1.7 million plus dollars but then again um you're going to have to have some good years in the stock market. and The best time to be putting money away, the young man who went to a basketball game, instead of putting that money into tickets, he should have put the money into the stock market because a year from now, he may have double his money if he picks his stock correctly. I don't know. Just thought. thought. Um, CNBC calculated, on average, you're going to have to put away 15% of your salary if you want to get to that $1.7 million by 65. Earning a 4% annual rate of growth, if you start at 25, you're going to have to put away $1,400 per month. If you start at age 30, you're going to have to put away $1,800 a month. If you start at age 40, you're going to have to put away $3,300 per month. So, getting money into a retirement account early is super important because it gets harder as you wait. It gets to be much bigger numbers, and um, you know the average salary in the United States was what fifty eight thousand four hundred and thirty six, or the median. So, if you start at age twenty five, that's four hundred eighty six dollars a month. Uh, there's a lot going on there and it's intimidating. I highly recommend that you start 401k at whatever company you work for or 403b or 457. Those are all very similar products that allow you to put money in federal tax-free, which is a bonus right there. If there's capital gains inside the funds in your next 30 or 40 years, you don't pay capital gains tax on it. And then later in life, when you're no longer in your peak earning years, you're distributing that income back to yourself. It works out pretty well on a lower tax bracket, but it's all about starting early. Now, here's where you can get into trip your mind out. There's some economists now who are starting to say, what you should do is enjoy your 20s and really don't enjoy your 30s, 40s, or 50s. In your 20s, you should go ahead and blow your disposable income and go to Golden Golden State Warriors games, but never again in your life. And it's like, whoa. The idea there is that the $300 from the tickets were a splurge, and his salary isn't going to be high enough in his 20s to really contribute a big chunk. But it, this is economic theory. I'm going against it. Um, Because when you start mixing economic theory in with pleasure, entertainment this weekend, sports tickets, movies, dates, whatever, alcohol. Friend of mine quit alcohol a year ago, and he's like, I've I've got so much more money on my hands. So I remember in my twenties when I started the show, I was like, okay, buy cheap beer for your house, and then go to your friend's house who has nice beer. <laughs> like there's little angles you could try to take, but it's a lot of work to try to get ahead of the system by buying cheap beer. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Big event coming up November 17, a retirement income event with CFP Chad Burton. Sign up for the event at robblackshow.com.
0: Now back to New Focus on Wealth on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: So I try to practice what I preach. And what that means is in my 20s, I worked really, really hard to set up a business to the point that I didn't give up sporting events. I didn't give up movies. I had this weird, twisted idea of what the American dream was, to go out on a date on Friday night, to see a movie, and to fall asleep together. And that was perfect. And I knew I couldn't get married because I wasn't financially stable yet. So I didn't get married in my 20s. While my friend's dead, they now have grandchildren. For the joy of grandchildren, I'm going to have to wait another 10, 15, 20 years or something like that. But again, that's part of an American dream that a lot of young people today don't have anymore. If you use the word retirement in front of a millennial, they think that's what old people do. They don't even want to have the idea of retirement. The idea of settling down and marrying is becoming a little different. It's changing. Some people don't want children because they want to travel together well into their 70s and 80s. I'm not trying to judge. I'm trying to say that I didn't get married in my 20s because I was trying to be financially successful. What are you willing to sacrifice? I wasn't willing to sacrifice the movie and the entertainment. I should have in hindsight Um, because I had a girlfriend when we were breaking up. She said, all I wanted to do was sit on the couch and eat corn chips with you. We used to draw each other, sketch each other with corn chips and charcoal pencils um, as the food and entertainment of the night. And I tried too hard, and she hated that I was trying so hard. Um, There's some stories out there that are always kind of interesting to me. Landlords are charging tenants pet rent and $600 fees. Man, that is a good time to be a landlord, right? The rental trap is now... Taking it to new levels. During the pandemic, a lot of us got pets. My pet, Maisie the Wonder Dog, passed away during the pandemic. And foolishly, I was like, my kids saw Maisie the Wonder Dog from age 5 to 14. So now I'm going to go out and get another dog. And you know what I wanted to do? Not get another dog. <laughs> you know what I want to do? I wanted to travel. You know what I want to do? Not be tethered to another thing that you care about. But it's interesting to see some of the ramifications now. Pet rent or the monthly fee one's landlords might charge on top of standard housing costs to shelter the animal and cover any damages. Now with a second deposit or a non-refundable fee, it's just become normalized. Rental complexes, big rental buildings, um, they're staying on top of this. An extra $45 a month to have a pet. That's pretty... If you think about it that way, and you start adding up how much a pet costs, uh, those animal shelters are going to fill right back up that got r- emptied out during the pandemic. Um. Anyway, I, it's pretty insane. Friend of mine, uh, I was talking to him yesterday, and he was telling me about how their cat had a five thousand dollar. Bill. And I'm like, you're kidding. Like, I can start a death service and come take away your cat for like four hundred and ninety-nine dollars or something like that. I know you're saying you're cruel, Rob. I'm not I of course I want to do that. But I am a little surprised at how much we spend on pets. Pet insurance is something I would strongly consider. Um if you have a puppy. Because you're only able to get it, I think, in their first year of their life. But puppies get into trouble. Puppies get bit by other dogs because they're small. Uh, my puppy, 0110110, um, her first year of her life was the most expensive, but $5,000 on a cat that's already old. I wondered where a lot of my pets went as a child. Like, whatever happened to Duchess the dog? Whatever happened to Ladybird? And, uh, I never got the real story out of my dad before he died. But sometimes they would disappear late in their life, and you know you could use that excuse—they just ran away or something. But I think something else was going on there. I think there is something nefarious, if you know what I'm saying. But uh, so I was talking to him, and he's like, "Yeah, we spent five thousand dollars on a cat and three thousand dollars in some new crowns for my wife's teeth." I'm like, "Tell your wife to floss and brush her teeth twice a day. Get a heavy fluoride toothpaste." because she's got some, some rotten teeth and she's still getting cavities. And that's expensive. Stuff that insurance doesn't cover well. So his whole year of savings gone on a cat and cavities. Interesting, right? You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, or Rob Black Show. When you spend $8,000 on a cat and cavities, you get why some Americans are going to start falling behind. I do at least, um, and yet the goal of the show is to get you to a million plus dollars. I think maybe two million is my new. If I were to say, what's a good number to get to? Shorthand, I say ten to twenty times your salary. But if you get to two million, I think you'll probably be able to figure out, navigate your way to death with enough money. You may have to take some cuts in cost of living and quality of life. You may not be able to end your golden years. Uh, in New York City, San Francisco, L.A., Miami, you may have to live it in the suburbs, which is totally fine. And that also brings up the idea of a plan. This Thanksgiving, uh, I've got some elderly in-laws, and I've got another family member who has a crisis in her family. So we're all going our own way this year. But who we really cared about were the people who are 80 or older. Are they going to have a good Thanksgiving with family? And we've got everyone covered with at least one visitor, um, sometimes two. But it's not a big family get-together anymore. They just got old. Um, three-hour drives are too much for them. So if you don't come to them and if they don't have the house the right size to, to you know handle eight people, yeah, you can make a restaurant, hotel, reservation, but it's tough planning for other people, isn't it? It's the thing I hate the most. Back to your pet. Renters being asked to pay a median $203 more to have a pet in the home is the bottom line here. The price of caring for pets going up. 75% of pet owners said in a survey last month that inflation had made pet ownership more expensive. 26% were struggling to cover the extra cost. Some animal shelters have seen an increase in owners surrendering pets due to higher housing costs. Um, one landlord asked for $1,600 for their two bedroom townhouse in Georgia. But when a new tenant came in, he threw on an extra $600 non-refundable pet deposit and an extra $30 a month because the people admitted to having a pet. $30 a month. That's $360 a year. That is one big hefty payment. That's one month of saving for retirement. a lot of money. So your pets, I'm not going to tell you to go get rid of FICA, FIDO. I'm not going to own that. Um, but it's all math in the end, isn't it? So Tesla said they're going to put the pedal to the metal, even with a potential recession. looming. it is interesting at how much we're seeing inflation costs on things like electric vehicles, but in particular Tesla's. Um, they keep raising their prices, and people keep buying. If there is a slowdown, will they lower prices? Probably not. That's the problem with inflation. It becomes sticky. You wouldn't want to buy a $100,000 Tesla Model X, and then you see it go to 120000 and then a year later, you see it's down to $110,000. you are like, what happened? It just doesn't happen that way. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. One area of wealth preservation and retirement planning that I want to talk about that we don't talk about a lot are changing jobs. Um, Working in radio, I've seen a lot of young people come in, start their career, and then realize you know, I'm the bottom man on the totem pole. I see management making pretty good money, and I see some salespeople making some good money. I see talent making okay. But if I'm going to be the one running the board and getting the – I've seen a lot of career turnover, and I always try to tell the young people, take the 401k with you. First thing I do is when they get hired, I'm like, start a 401k. The company's going to give you 3% match, take it. And as long as there's not a year time frame on when you could start saving for retirement in the company's 401k, which I think is a stupid thing, I wish we had mandated 401ks in this country like some other countries do. Um, And I know the Biden administration is working on something that makes it like you automatically get set up for the plan unless you tell HR you don't want the plan. One minute. I think that's a good thing. But when you leave the company, I think you should always take the 401k with you and roll it over into your new 401k or roll it over into a self-directed IRA. So... If you're working for a company XYZ and you give your two weeks, start thinking about taking that 401k with you. Um, the problem is when you leave it behind, you kind of forget about it, and you're not really on top of it. And you may have had one year where the markets were tough, and you went to all cash. And 20 years later, you go to look at that 401k, and it's all cash, and it's underperformed inflation, it's lost buying power, and you're like, "Why did I ever do that?" Or you may have your money in like a Dell which in the 1990s made you very smart, but in the 2000s made you very foolish, take the 401k with you. Self-direct it in an IRA if you can. I'm Rob Black.
0: You're listening to New Focus on Wealth on AM 1220 KDOW.
1: I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing much, much more. How much will you pay yourself in retirement? That's a fun question, right? I had a big travel day yesterday and I was in my car, and I was like, let's listen to some sports radio. I haven't listened to sports radio in 10 years. Um, And when I turned it on, I was almost instantly regretting it. It just doesn't do it for me anymore. I don't really need to talk about LeBron James. And I was going to tie LeBron James into college sports and see if there's a story there. Um, We know Bronny James, LeBron James' kid. He has a big Nike deal. Um, which basically now college student, kids can get paid. The big winner in the college kids getting paid so far, you're going to see the stories like Bronny James getting a big, 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 big deal. But it's women. Of the money that's coming in to college sports right now to pay athletes or to get athletes to endorse products, Nike's throwing down money on women. Uh, female sports are a success Big time success in name, imaging, and likeness for endorsement deals, which was a July 2021 big time Supreme Court deal decision. Deal. I shouldn't say that. I'm all whacked in the head today. But so, compensation for football, it's getting about 50% of the money. Don't get me wrong. Basketball is getting another 19%. So, those two sports are sucking up a lot of the money. But women's basketball, 12.6, women's volleyball, 2.5, softball, 1.9, women's track, 1.4, women's gymnastics, 1.4, women's swimming and diving, 1.1. So six of the top 10 sports are women. It's interesting to note. I'm going to drop it right there um, because I don't think there's enough story there to really scratch much further down. Wish I could, but. That came from listening to sports radio, trying to get some ideas for the show. Now let's move back to what does interest me. If sports radio doesn't interest me, what does? How much are you going to pay yourself in retirement? As I'm getting closer, and I'll say this, when I turned 50, was the first time where I started thinking about that question. And I can ask 10 listeners right now, how much are you going to pay? And I'm pretty sure you're going to say, I don't know how much I'm going to pay myself in retirement. I'm starting to get closer and closer to knowing how much I'm going to pay myself, which I want you to start thinking that way earlier in your life. I used to say that a million dollars could pay you roughly $40,000 a year until the day you die. With inflation, that's not quite as true as anymore. And with low interest rates versus high interest rates. With the higher interest rates, it's easier to get income, but this time, high interest rates are being um, slacked by inflation. So I talk a lot about an accumulation strategy, max out your 401k every two weeks, have uh, an account like an Acorns where you automatically roll over uh, your your spending on coffee, $2.75, 25 cents goes straight to investing. Through an app called Acorns. Take your credit card reward points, cash them in for cash on the ones that are your credit cards that are designed to have cash back, and invest that money. Don't spend that money. I talk a lot about accumulation, but I don't talk a lot about decumulation. CFP, Chad Burton, and I were running through some numbers yesterday on slides for seminars coming up for the retirement income event in Palo Alto. And uh, one of his slides is on how to decumulate money and how to take money out of market, how to take money out of a down market so that you're not selling it a low. And it is a strategy that will blow your mind. It's because we just don't think that way. We're not wired as humans, but CFPs, they're not humans. They're financial robots, I'm pretty sure. So Chad's going to wow you coming up Thursday, November 17th back in black in person. Kind of excited by that. I know you don't hear the excitement in my voice right now, but I'm kind of excited by that. Um, We're going to teach you how to maximize social security income, how to start your decumulation strategy so you don't have to sell in down markets. So I'm getting to the point where if my numbers, I want $250,000 a year in income when I retire, I looked at what my mutual funds were paying me in dividends or my stocks were paying me in dividends last year, and I'm going to start setting aside three years of spending, right? You get the idea here? And then as I draw that you know, $250,000 out the first year, I'm getting $250,000 a year in income from dividends. It's going into that cash account to replenish the money that I drew down on so that I don't have to sell to raise money. It's really not an obvious conclusion that most of us are going to come to. Um, Not picking on the guy, but he made for good content today. He went to the uh, basketball game this week, and he sold out some stocks, some bonds, or some Bitcoin. He sold something to go. So he took an asset that he had saved and turned it into cash. Not the worst thing in the world. I know what he sold. Um, But he did lose an asset. In retirement, you don't want to lose assets. You want those assets to replace the cash because the cash is replacing your income from when you worked. And you keep those assets as pure as you can. You try to have more than one source of income other than dividends. Um, It could be a house that you rent out. It could be a low cost, low fee, no commission annuity. It could be a pension plan. It could be a side job. You try to stop the cash from that you've lost in income uh, from going after your assets. You don't want to lose the assets. You want to keep the assets. So we're going to talk about that November 17th, Palo Alto at the Elks Lodge. You can sign up for the event at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show.